I think I might have done a couple of videos on like, mapping the MPE to Skydust. I can't remember. I don't know if I've published Ooh. them. I post a lot of rubbish on my <laughs> channel, uh, Mark, so uh, uh, I'll see if I can find it. Great. Yeah, no, send me if you if you have one on that specific. Because, yeah. Just me. I, I, the only reason I do it is if I don't publish it, I'll, I'll forget and I'll probably delete the project that it was done in. Totally. I thought, yeah. If I just put it on YouTube, I've got it there. It's all on the screen. I'll know how to rebuild that if I ever need to come back to it. So that's why I do it. <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to a December episode of uh, Special Audio Monthly, our monthly podcast where we talk about all things immersive media and immersive audio in particular. My name is Michael Wagner. I'm hosting this podcast. And next to me is Sam Hawking, my co-host. Hello. Hello, Sam. Hello. And uh, we have a very, very interesting guest today, uh, Mark Slee uh, from Envelope for Life. And actually, he is partly responsible for why this podcast exists. And I'm going to talk about that in a second. But Mark, do you want to say something about yourself, what you do sure, and who you yeah. are? Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, my name is Mark Slee. I am a uh, software engineer, uh, artist, musician, DJ, bit of a mix of things. Um, but primarily, as you mentioned, um, in this context, the lead developer of Envelope for Life. Um, I also work on some spatial um, visualization software for LEDs um, that goes by the name of LX Studio or Chromatic. Uh, my background is um, technical uh, computer science and math, but have throughout my life always been DJing, producing electronic music uh, in parallel. So really enjoy just sort of bouncing between those two rules, creating tools, and then going uh, having a good time using them. Cool, and uh, we're going to talk about Envelope for Life a little bit later today. But before we do that, let's first kind of talk a little bit about uh, what happened over the last month. And Mark, you're very welcome to join in at any moment in time if you want to. Um, before we do that, though, I need to kind of make one announcement. We selected the winners of the uh, giveaway that we had last last month, uh, the, the giveaway for the Audio Brewers Phaser plugin. Now, uh, if you have not, uh, the, the way I have to do that, unfortunately, because our podcast channel is not yet monetized, so I couldn't reach out to you personally. So the way I did that is I, I left comments or responses to your comments in the podcast. So if you go to that episode and you look at your comment and you see me responding to that comment uh, on how to reach out, please reach out to me. And in order to collect your license, not everybody has done that yet. Um, but uh, it was it was kind of quite fun. Uh, we had a lot of really interesting kind of responses, Sam, wouldn't you say? Yep, some very interesting responses. Some that didn't read the uh, criteria correctly, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so they weren't included by me. But they might have been by you. I'm not sure. Yeah, you needed you to read, follow the rules. You read the, yeah, you've got to follow the rules, guys. Come on. <laughs> no, all good. All good, I'm sure. So, uh, so I'm sure once, once, very happy. Yeah, so once again, if you haven't if you haven't kind of reached out to me yet, please do so. Um, uh, it's, it's very easy. And then I'm going to kind of uh, send you the license. Um, so um, with that out of the way, what, what what were the news, Sam? Any any news that we had this this month? Uh, not a huge amount. There was the new um, Altiverb uh, release, wasn't there? With yeah. um, now from um, multi-channel support. Um, so that's kind of following on from um, like Vienna month previous with that's the GPU a, that's audio. A, um, that, 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 I, I usually complain about the price of those things uh, because that kind of yeah, uh, costs 900 bucks, right? 
It's uh, what I call post-production dollars, not uh, post-production not, dollars, not, not, not music, not music production dollars, or <laughs> yeah. not certainly not home music production dollars. Anyway, it's it's kind of funny, you know. Kind of, I, I I keep mentioning that because it kind of bothers me, and I kind of I do understand, you know. Kind of these are old uh, kind of established tools that uh, people use in the post-production community, and 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 their you know kind of money is usually not that big of a deal if you're doing big productions you want to have quality yeah. and these are kind of well established tools that people have for a long time but what really always surprises me is how they how they defend a, a kind of they're very passionate about that and kind of to defend no that's perfectly fine that's kind of a tool that's yeah. supposed to cost like 100, 900 bucks yeah i think i think they for that price i think they probably well it's only my impression i've got no evidence for it but i, I think the engineers probably get quite a tight relationship with the development of it as well yeah. it always seems to be very tied into um yeah you know this engineer is already talking about it or promoting it and stuff like that so i think it's quite tightly well the whole industry is quite tight in that sort of side of it but yeah no the price is definitely um a factor in uh deciding yeah whether it's, to use it's, uh, it. I yeah. Mean, it, is, it is a very very good convolution yeah no, no, no like question re, about that like yeah. reverb um yeah. Probably one of the best. Um, I was kind of waiting for. Always thought um, Valhalla would release something by now, um, given how popular that. They haven't. Know, they, they, they haven't done new stuff for a while. I don't they? think any of their their stuff is no. is um, multi channel yet. No. So no. Uh, that would be that would be quite cool to see because certainly got a certain you know in in terms of how many people use it. So a lot more people use something like Valhalla, yeah. reverbs and. Um, you know, Liquid Sonics or or anybody else, really. So um, I think that'd be quite cool. I'm actually I'm actually going to come back to Valhalla a little later in the podcast when we ah, talk right. about Envelope for Life because the uh, the one thing that I like uh, about Valhalla actually kind of I just reinstalled my Valhalla reverbs uh, primarily because. Uh, there are a couple of developers coming out with this uh, uh, Max for Life wrappers now, so you can actually use that reverb in in Ableton, and it looks like right. an Ableton device. Um, ah, so so yeah. that that kind of made me reinstall all Valhalla reverbs because it kind of it's really convenient to have that like right there. Yeah. Totally, yeah, 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 yeah. No, I mean that's uh, yeah. I, I love I love anything like that where you can kind of um, redesign or re reimagine sort of how to use a, a plugin, so like wrappers and stuff like that. Yeah, it just makes yeah. it's just more fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, well, yeah. There's really not been a lot a lot else in terms of tools i don't think this yeah. month uh you might be aware of a couple of others the only the only other thing i've heard is there were some updates on the kind of dolby access application oh, on windows okay. yeah, no, i, I think looks like it's going to get some not 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 considerable in updates in terms of anybody would notice but some of the technology maybe so um but i don't, I don't know much about that it's obviously still being interesting so. interesting yeah i mean we we kind of we we do know of a couple of releases that we expect for early next year but we can't really talk about those but i uh, kind of for anybody who is uh, yeah. listening kind of there are a couple of really interesting things coming um over the next couple of weeks i was yeah. actually hoping for one to, to to be already published at that point uh that's <laughs> one that, that that even sam doesn't know but uh, it ah, kind right. of, yeah. unfortunately i can't talk about that it's, it's going to be an interesting one um 
Yeah, there, there's actually there's actually one. I, I, ben Sapper actually reached out to me. You know, kind of you you, you guys probably know that uh, Sapper we had track, and and he told me that he made the quietest release, the most silent release uh, <laughs> ever. Yeah. Nobody knows about it. So if you have a if you have a, a kind of a Sapper head track, a kind of oops, you I've, want to. I've got mine on here. Yeah, still, you, still you might want to you might want to <laughs> go to the website and download the latest version because yeah. there's actually a firmware up, upgrade waiting for you. Yeah, it's, it's yep. the other a, I think there's been a GUI update as well. It it's a, a GUI update and, and, and yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, and, and a couple, couple of things. Uh, and, and I think kind of, you know, now that, that people are actually using his head tracker for quite a, quite a lot of things, you know, kind of especially, yep. I think one thing that really gave you the boost is sort of the, sub, the official support of uh, Dolby, the Dolby renderer, right? So that's really the only uh, yep. head tracker right now that is supported by the Dolby Atmos renderer. Um, yeah, that, that really I think gave him a boost. Um, so he kind of updated it, and it looks very professional. Well, it always looked professional, but it's it's kind of it, it is a significant um, yeah under the yeah. hood update. I think uh, Ben was uh, he worked on uh, with Roly, um, oh. you know, the MPE keyboards, and I know Mark's um, keen to talk about you know how that can be integrated into spatial audio. So that'll be. Interesting. That'd be quite interesting because um, I've, I've well, yeah, I've been a Rolly um, synth user for a long time. Not really? necessarily, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, I'm pretty much first adopter of the Rolly MPE. It's not a particularly brilliant product in terms of stability and stuff because it's quite quite advanced, I think, for its time. But um, for using it in ways that isn't necessarily just playing notes or expressions. It, it's pretty. Weren't they, weren't they sold to? You can some, do some quite cool stuff with it. Weren't Rolly sold to some some kind of uh, conglomerate or something? Oh, kind uh, of. Do have I know they had financial trouble and yeah. probably it got wrapped up in some deal somewhere. So yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So, so uh, kind of that's that's always one of the things that get, gets people concerned. I think. But yeah, but I think yeah that that whole kind of using MPE as a way to control spatial audio is and synthesizers is uh something that's definitely interesting me anyway we're, yeah, i'm yeah. sure we're going to talk, talk yeah. about yeah yeah absolutely yeah. absolutely so, absolutely yeah so kind of the, um, the only the only other thing that there wasn't once again there wasn't really much and i think uh, a lot of the uh, reason for that is because we are in the um season where everybody purchases stuff <laughs> on the cheap <laughs> so, yeah. so you can't really do a lot of new releases during that time because every, everybody will ask you oh is that discount um so so kind of black friday did you guys buy anything on black friday I bought a a VST audio player. Oh, I downloaded the well. There wasn't a demo, so I downloaded the full release. Um, this is a basically a, a WAV file player that yeah. will play out our VST plugin. Basically, don't ask me why, but I needed one, um, and it was on offer. Uh, so I downloaded. There wasn't a demo. So, oh great! I'm gonna have to. I'll, I'll download the full version because I just wanted to see if it can play multi-channel. WAV files, because it didn't say it, but it looked like it might. Um, and so I downloaded it, installed it um, into is it? Um, it's one of the VS, the standalone VST hosts because it tells you what the channel capability of the plugin is. And it said six, and I thought, oh, brilliant! I just want to play five point one. That's enough. That work. So, <laughs> so, I, so I bought I bought it. I I bought it. Loaded in a five point one file. It showed the 5.1 file in its in its interface. Oh, brilliant! This is definitely going to work. Press play, and there's only two two uh, channels of audio coming out. 
I thought, oh, this maybe maybe I need to enable the like, so you know I'm a Bitwig user, so I'll, I'll enable the multi outs on the the plugin in the VST two version, and there was no multi out option, so I basically yeah, I blew a, I blew a, I blew, a, I blew some money on something that almost works but not quite. So that was, that, that was my. That was my Friday adventure. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, Mark, anything, anything that you picked up? Um, I managed to mostly resist this year. I just yeah. picked up a few uh, percussion plugins. Um, I'm going to get the name. It's a Swedish company, Clevgrand, I think. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That's a good one. Fun little tools. Just They have um, a few that do these kind of uh, found sounds, kitchen objects and shakers and things. Uh, so just sort of fun organic production. Been messing around with that a bit. Yeah, cool, cool. Yeah, I kind of, I did, I also kind of, and, and I'm, I'm with, with them a little kind of the, you, you, you sometimes purchase things that you, in the end, you don't really need. So, so I, for some, I, I'm not quite, I'm honestly not quite sure, but I, I bought the, the multi-channel upgrade to Sonarworks, which is uh, the weirdest thing because I don't have a multi-channel setup. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, I, but, I, but I felt may, maybe at some point I have one and then I already have the, the, the roof correction going. <laughs> Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Black Friday. That's kind of a, that. That's an interesting one. Kind of lasts nearly a month now, doesn't it? Black Friday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's yeah. yeah it's, I was going to say it's, it's, it's really it's Black, Black, Black season. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you've seen kind of the the one thing that I really liked. You know, kind of some companies are really having fun with that. Um, and uh, I don't know if you if you noticed that there's this one company who builds uh, digital analog converters primarily, Sheet Audio. Oh, and uh, and uh, essentially, they had a brown Wednesday. Right, <laughs> excellent. And I always felt that kind of the only company that can pull that off is Sheet Audio. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Love it. Excellent. Yeah, that's, that's fun. Yeah, so um, uh, once again, not much happened over the last couple of weeks, but uh, that doesn't matter because we have a very interesting guest today, Max Lee, and uh, Max Lee is big with Envelope for Life. And uh, not everybody might be aware of what Envelope for Life really is. So my first question to Mark would be, what exactly is Envelope for Life? Yeah, so Envelope for Life is a set of tools um, that runs on Max for Life within Ableton. Um, that makes it easy to use Ableton as an environment to do ambisonics-based uh, spatial panning and spatial music. Um, so the suite includes basic panning devices, um, some convolution reverb, another couple of utility reverbs, um, some kind of basic routing tools and a few sort of effects. Um, so it's kind of a, a sort of core, nothing super wacky, but basic sort of core package to have working with spatial audio feel natural within Ableton. And I just realized that I pronounced it incorrectly. Uh, how did you pronounce? I always say. We, yeah, this is. <laughs> you are not the only one. Uh, we say envelop. <laughs> envelop. Okay. Well, yeah, thank you. To like to the verb to be enveloped. To envelop. Uh, that, that, that make, yeah. that, honestly, it makes a lot more sense. Not an envelope in which one mails things, <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, that, that's 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 funny. We 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 knew from the start that that was going to be a, uh, yeah. a constant. <laughs> this pronunciation is quite all right. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, well, now I have to relearn. That, that's kind of that's kind of the, the weird thing. Um, you you guys have been around for quite some time, I think, right? Yeah, probably. I was um, trying to check because I couldn't remember. I think we're coming up on ten years almost. I think we're not quite there, but I want to say the first software release was maybe around 2015, somewhere thereabouts. 
Yeah. yeah. And that, that, that sort of, that brings me to uh, kind of what I said at the beginning, kind of why, why uh, you know, kind of what you do is actually kind of the reason why I am here. So a couple of years ago, I decided I needed something to do when I'm retiring and I felt music production and I purchased Ableton and then essentially I came across uh, Envelope. Envelope for life. And uh, that got me really excited because as a, as a mathematician, ambisonics is something that I could actually relate to. So um, en Envelope really is the main reason why, why that brought me into spatial audio. Um, and uh, and that's, that's something I'm really grateful for. So, so that, that, that's really cool. Now you guys have yeah, a... Have that, a that, yeah. That's cool to hear that actually, because we're super grateful for all these videos yeah, uh, you've made. And I think for a while you were making them and I don't know if you'd reached out to anyone on the team because I... I Feel like I didn't know about them and then discovered them one day, and we were just sort of we're like, oh wow, someone's making these really yeah, I'm, great. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm 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 constantly saying that kind of I'm I'm a little bit socially awkward, so I usually don't reach out to people. But uh, that no, it's I don't think I've ever reached out to anybody. No, <laughs> I, I just cool. Stuff. Well, I'm glad you've done it now because yeah, no, they're they're <laughs> yeah, extremely yeah. helpful videos and some of the most. I mean, more comprehensive than any of the documentation we've done ourselves. Re really, uh, well, thank you. Thank you. Uh, kind of, I, I, I sometimes look back, at, especially at the old videos, and I'm kind of, uh, <laughs> it's, 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 you know, kind of. I think, I think that 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 is always the case. If you do something for such a long time, then you look at the early stuff, and uh, it looks a lot like cringe. <laughs> it, yeah, that's the artist in you. I think uh, every artist can relate. Yeah. <laughs> so, but but uh, one thing that I think that makes your stuff really interesting is also you you follow a particular philosophy. Essentially, kind of everything that you do is available for free to some extent right um is, is there can, can can you tell us a little bit about that uh essentially first of all how came that to be and uh, how did you decide to make that available and what was the reason why you kind of decided to go that route because there are a couple of uh, other systems that actually charge sometimes a lot of money for these types of things and your stuff is essentially uh, free yeah i think um so envelope um, so Envelop for Live is the set of tools, E4L, and then there's the larger Envelop uh, organization, which is a nonprofit uh, organization started out of and still uh, mostly based in San Francisco. Um, so I think the, the, the whole sort of philosophy from the beginning was this nonprofit approach of just wanting to support spatial audio, make it more accessible, bring people um, together around shared listening experiences and the impact of that. And then, so there's a few things that Envelop, the organization, does um, to kind of foster and enable that. So Envelop for Live is one piece of that, which is the tools. Um, and a couple of reasons for open source. One was that we were using a lot of open source components, mm. um, some of which I think may have been, um, I can't remember if they were GPL to begin with, which effectively forces you to also be GPL if you're going to use it. Um, That's true. Some may have been, some may have not. But uh, I think that resonated with us anyway, because the I think part of the idea was to sort of try to be an alternative to the more established, either sort of Dolby cinema-oriented systems, um, or, you know, as you were just talking about with plugins, I think the sort of high-end post-production market. We were sort of thinking, okay, there is definitely hobbyist interest in this, and the more... And just sort of culturally, the different approach to it, which is, yeah, not big project post-production, but experimental electronic music. Um, you know, there, I mean, there's such a history of that in so many, I mean, the West Coast Synth School and all these other things that cut just that sort of ethos of messing around and seeing what happens. Um, and I think we were interested in sort of supporting that, um, that kind of just experimental um, approach to it. So yeah, it started open source. We've kept it open source since. Um, 
Envelope then does also operate um, a venue um, in San Francisco where we have a multi-channel system and operate events. Um, those are, you know, those are ticketed events and things like that. So E4L sort of fits in a larger uh, overall Envelope project. Um, but yeah, I think we would love to see it be easier for people to get into the content production funnel. There's always such a chicken and egg problem with spatial audio that there's just not enough content. And then there's always this question for artists, well, why should they invest in all these expensive tools and all the effort and time to produce this content if there's not a huge number of places to present it? Um, so we're sort of um, we're sort of trying to approach different sides of that sort of simultaneously, both through creating the listening spaces and, and trying to encourage pop-up events and that kind of thing, but then also, um, yeah. yeah, just making the content production easy. And that, uh, am that, I right? So, yeah, no, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, no, go ahead. No, uh, just something popped into my head because I was playing with, I think it's, it's all off my memory now. I think it's called Plug Data, which is based on pure data. Is that is that what um, Envelope is developed on? Is is it a pure data type thing? Or am I... No, uh, well, it's man, Max. Yeah, well, I mean... So Max for Life is, is based on that. Um, yeah, I mean, that's sort of the, the history of Max, as I understand. I'm not uh, super expert in this, but I think that it basically for pure data and Max came from the same sort of academic birth. And then there was, a, at some point, a sort of pure data stayed uh, in the purely sort of open source experimental realm or Max uh, became more of a... Right. Okay. Um, so yeah, same same essence, the guts is that. The, we use um, the core Ambisonics guts that we use is the ICST um, Ambisonics externals package that's out of um, uh, Swiss, um, and those are all open source. They were they released right. that, so that's what we use okay. for um, the core guts of just the Ambisonics uh, encoding decoding. Yeah. Um, we've played around with a few different. I think the initial version used a different one, but there's there's a few good um, open source academic Ambisonics implementations out there. Um, one yeah. is the, the ICST package that we use, and then there's also a good, um, the IEM suite out of, uh, I think it's Austrian, I forget exactly which. Uh, it, uh, as an MD Austrian, I can but... tell you it is Austrian, yes. <laughs> yes, it's Austrian. Those are very good tools uh, as well, but I think just I think they just do VST plugins. I'm not sure if it has a, yeah, I don't think there's think... a Max version. No, not as far as I'm aware. I can, yeah. I, I, I'm curious about your, tell us a little bit about more about your space that you have. You, you guys are located in San Francisco, right? So, so, so that's, that's your primary, is there, are there any other locations or is this the only location that you operate? Um, that is the only location, uh, the only permanent location um, for, there was briefly one in um, Salt Lake City um, that kind of developed out of a mobile system that's not operating anymore. And then we have, um, so we have the permanent location in San Francisco. That is a 32-channel system. It's a 28.4. Um, you've probably seen images on the website. I'll describe it for those listening. But we we kind of go with this approach of using these columns. Mm -hmm. So we have eight columns forming an octagon that envelops uh, the audience, shall we say. Um, the columns are about 12 feet tall. So we have within each column, we have a head height speaker around six feet. And then we have a floor speaker pointing upwards and then an, an overhead angled down from about 12 feet. Um, that eight, the the ring of eight is kind of our core thing with all the systems we do. So our mobile pop-up system is just an octagon at head height with eight speakers. Um, but then in that permanent venue, we we add an extra ring of sort of four overheads uh, right up on the ceiling um, plus subs. Um, so that is a room that holds, uh, our capacity is just around 50 people sort of max. So it's, a, it's an intimate space, cozy room. Um, and we do a mix there of different programming types. We do some 
um, live performance or DJ performance. Um, we do some just listening events um, with pre-recorded, pre-spatialized material, um, sometimes source material that was in surround, uh, Pink Floyd album, that sort of thing, other times upmixed content um, that we've uh, translated. And then some events are more sort of sound, ba sound bath, meditation session type of thing. Um, where um, a lot of uh, field recordings, this kind of more sort of ambient soundscape, um, so a mix of uh, mix of experiences in there, and and that is meant to be used with with uh, the envelope system only, or do you kind of uh, also kind of support other spatial audio systems? We pretty much, I mean, we're operating those events, so it's basically always we're running it. Um, often, Velop. Um, in in theory, I think we're not opposed um to someone coming and doing something else um but most the events in there tends to be uh us operating them so it's just that's where we got and, and the kind of um, that that is that is uh is, is this a, is this a space where anybody could can contribute or kind of how does this work uh is, is this um, something that you that you know yeah. not quite we are it's part of a larger venue we're sort of one room in a larger venue that includes a, a very large multi-thousand person concert venue and then they also mm -hmm. have like a nightclub that i think i forget exact capacity maybe 300 500 type of people and then they have this room so the the larger space does a whole mix of um programming um so unfortunately uh yeah we don't have a huge amount of control over like overall scheduling we would love to um, at some point, uh, be able to do more daytime programming and sort of educational stuff, um, studio sessions, that sort of thing. Um, but, um, but yeah, no, we are, I mean, we do do a mix of community events and things. So we have, um, parties and concerts sometimes that'll be from other local collectives or producers doing things. Um, it's hard to make the, um, the economics of sort of bringing people in from afar work with a 50 person, 50 person venue. It's just, uh, Mm -hmm. Yeah, can't can't bring enough people through the door. So it's mostly local stuff. Um, but we would love to our sort of vision for the arc of it, the, the hope would be to kind of build uh community around the sort of format and standard and ide ideally I think that's a, also part of the vision with the free software is that it would be great to get to a point where there is a venue of some sort like this in most major cities that could exchange content and have someone could produce something and present it and have there be um, either synchronized live event uh, where it's presented simultaneously in multiple places or just or just federated where, okay, I've produced this, I can go present it in five or 10 different venues in different cities mm -hmm. rather than a one-off. Because, yeah, I think, and that's part of um, why Ambisonics, because I think um, the, the sort of, theoretical portability of it is useful there where you haven't um the artist has not produced something that is channel based for a very specific one-off venue that happens to have xyz speaker layout our our hope yep. is that of course you always need to tune spatial audio for the room like when you go to a um you know it's not going to sound exactly the same in a different room with different speaker layout but the but at least the hope is with ambisonics the distance to tune it to a new new venue yep. should be a lot lot lower yeah. Uh, how's that normally played? Are they using kind of a, a live type setup, even in Ableton maybe, or or, or is it kind of pre-recorded? Yeah, no, most um, of the time thing. we are playing it out of Ableton using E4L uh, in yeah. real time. Um, so that that's the majority. Um, of it. That's the common use case. We yeah. do in some of our Macs, we, we have a mechanism to just capture the output, of course, as a multi-channel wave if we just want to 
bake it. Um, but typically, yeah. we, it's run directly off off E4L. Oh, cool. Yeah, because that, that's always the, the challenge with um, like the processing and any latency and what you're hearing isn't necessarily exactly what you're kind of seeing in front of you at that moment in time. Um, unless you're yeah. just playing it back passively, if you've got to interact with it in any way, it's you know, once you pass that 20 or 30 we... milliseconds, it's quite difficult sometimes. Totally. We separate, um, we use two different machines for this reason, which I will say now that in the years between with Apple Silicon and stuff, it's getting less and less necessary. Uh, but at the time, um, at the first time we create, we, we separate E4L runs and codes the Ambisonics and we just send that right. out of sound card to a backend machine that receives that and then does all the, the speaker decoding. Um, so right. yeah, five, ah, okay. six, it is amazing how fast this stuff develops. But five, six years ago, that was definitely necessary from a latency point of view to yeah. split the CPU you load. Um, now it's often not really necessary, but it does just reduce. It's nice in that it just reduce risk. Um, yeah. And then that lets us do some other things where we have that. For instance, if we have multiple people performing at a show, we can have that back-end machine just sort yeah. of fade out somebody's input, put on some field recording transition thing while somebody else back switches the their computer. Yeah, yeah. so yeah, it's, yeah. it's helpful from a production workflow perspective as well. Cool. Yeah, no, really cool. Yeah, kind of we already yeah. touched a little bit and kind of why Ambisonics and... Um, I don't know if you've seen like last last month's episode when we had Alejandro Cabrera and he said something that kind of stuck with me. He said he said that uh, yeah, kind of Ambisonics uh, is 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 going to be around uh, even if if all the other special audio formats fold because it's it, in essence it's sort of really kind of uh, if you do the mathematics mathematician in me uh, that then sort of you automatically arrive at Ambisonics. so it's sort of the safe bet right so so you you can be sure that this lasts longer than any other special audio technology right yeah and it's cool it's i mean it's so old already it's crazy i mean it you know it was invented in the 70s or something such a long time ago before any of these use cases for it were probably really even being thought about um but yeah, I think we like that about it philosophically as well. And and yeah, it sort of can't go away in that sense because it's kind of, well, one, it's sort of just open and free. It's not really controlled by any company. Um, and mm -hmm. as you say, like it's sort of in principle, just math. And I, I have found that amusing where anytime I've explained to like a physicist or someone uh, how the system works with zero interest in music, and I'll just be like, oh, yes, yeah, spherical harmonics, of course. Yeah, we use that. Like, that shows up in everything ever. And I was just like, oh, really? Does it? I, you know, I didn't. Yeah, I, no, I've always just thought of it as like, oh, this uh, is the Fourier transform for a sphere. Exactly. Like, I, I translated into concepts I know. Um, but yeah, physicists, apparently. Exactly. It's, a, it's it. a mathematical necessity. It's a consequence of mathematics. It's sort of, you, however you do that, you always arrive at the same spherical harmonics. Uh, that's the beauty of yeah. it. Yeah. The one um, place in more, in some, we use third order ambisonics uh, in E4L. So it's 16 channels of audio per uh, sound object. Obviously, you can go uh, way up as high as you want. I think the IEM stuff goes up to seventh if you want it. Um, but that is, that's the only place where I question sometimes for, for super crazy modern installations with crazy, crazy high speaker counts. Um, third order definitely is not a becomes blurry between the speakers. There's not enough discrete information to set, say you're working with a hundred speakers. 
Um, so that's kind of the only use case where I start to wonder, oh, maybe it's not the best thing if you have an insane number of speakers. Um, but then there's, I mean, there's always just a lot of these things are, what are you trying to create? What experience are you going for? So, I mean, have, 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 yeah, you, ever, have you ever thought about going higher orders? I mean, kind of, you know, kind of the, um, most plugins can do seventh order now, right? So, and, and Pro Tools does seventh order and, uh, you know, kind of even Noendo went, it, they didn't go up to seventh order, but they're at fourth order now. Have you ever thought about kind of uh, higher orders? Yeah. Um, we, in theory, there's no reason we couldn't do it. I will say this is where being inside of Max for Live is not the best. And the fact we're, and we're sort of, I don't want to say abusing, but kind of like at the edge of the Max for Live API. I think, you know, I, I would be really happy actually if Live just started natively supporting multi-channel buses because a lot of the guts of E4L is this kind of ugly hack around that where mm. it's like you want it to just feel like it's a 16-channel bus. You don't want to think about routing additional channels. So we kind of... Um, under the hood, when Max for Live devices have extra inputs or outputs, you can sort of programmatically route them. Um, the API is actually sort of an API equivalent of those track routing dropdowns that every Ableton channel exposes in the UI. So you have this sort of what what E4L is doing under the hood is setting up loads of auxiliary inputs and outputs and programmatically flipping all these little routing dropdowns. Um, so even me having built it, like I don't love it. It's the kind of thing that makes me nervous as a software engineer because I'm just like, this is a bit fiddly. It is a valid use of the API, but sort of clearly not what it was probably designed for. Yeah. Um, and so and so that's where also yeah, tacking on, um, going up to like seventh order and turning that into you know 64 um, channels of that per. Um, I sort of look at it and the software engineer in me wonders, ooh, I'm like abusing this API for stereo pairs. Doing this thing a ton of times with loads of stereo pairs is probably not, no one implementing a DAW from scratch or for native support yes. would implement it that way. It would be done in a clean way that understands a chain yeah. of, um, so yeah. I think that's where it's, uh, and. Who knows? I, I mean, I don't get the sense that Ableton is likely to go native multi-channel anytime soon. It just doesn't seem. My, sort my, of... my feeling is my feeling is that things like uh, Envelope might actually be counterproductive in that because they can always say, "Well, you can do it anyway with Max, right?" Yeah, there's a few, and there's a few other. Um, I think there's some Spat tools now in Max yeah. as well, and same kind of thing. But yeah, they all. Um, well, did, 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 I. I, th I think yours is the only one that actually does this routing trick, right? Uh, everything else kind of splits it up into st stereo pairs, and then you have to kind of work with those stereo pairs. Yeah, a lot of them have each panner kind of output straight to the hardware in uh, in pairs, but they'll usually have some utility where you can say sort of like copy these routing settings to every every instance mm -hmm. or something mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think we're the only one that routes Ambisonics within live but again yeah I, I think part of the reason for that is because it's sort of hacky it's 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 kind of uh mm -hmm. i i think it's you know we did our original version actually didn't do it that way the first version um of e4l um which was mostly built by this guy um rama gottfried um who was at cinemat at berkeley at the time i think he's now at icst um and it did it more that other approach where we had a separate pro there was a separate program running in standalone max 
uh, and it worked more on this model of you bus all your stems over to that separate program, mm -hmm. and you also send it the metadata instruction. This is like the other classic model and sort of the SPAT model, as you have some other encoding problem program, and you're sending all these azimuth and elevation values. So we did that first. Um, and I think it was with Live 10 that we sort of figured out that the API could do it, uh, the Max for Live, that you could do it in this other way with an Ableton. Um, and I think that was where, for me, with my artist hat on, I was like, that is just so much more of a pleasant workflow mm -hmm. than this whole, you know, firing up multi multiple programs, making sure everything's uh, synced between the two and just all the stress that comes with that, especially if you're going to do it in a live context and it's just, <laughs> you know, the number of things that can go wrong. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's interesting you say that it's um, counterproductive in a way, because I, I think you're probably right about that. And I probably do feel in some way that, yeah, sometimes it does seem like Ableton perhaps sort of leans on that. You can do it with Max thing um, in situations where, yes, that's true, yeah. but also it could be done super elegantly natively if it if it was implemented that is, right that now. Is, that, is, that, is, that is correct. That is correct. Yeah, the, my, the toughest one for me is still just the LFO, like just the, having a slam a whole device on to do a max for live LFO just to get one one knob in some other device uh, running on a sine wave is just, uh, you know, um, I'm uh, holding, although I think they've improved this in live. I think I saw something that live 12 is tweaking something about that perhaps. So we'll, we'll see. Yeah, we will see. I haven't, I don't have access to live 12 yet. So I request that beta access, but I did it a little too late and then kind of, uh, I, I got kind of very far down the, 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 the queue, so I'm, I don't have mm -hmm. access yet. Uh, but but kind of that brings me to one thing that I'm 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 already seeing people kind of hammering away in the in the comment section. Um, why not Reaper, right? I mean, it's it's sort of uh, why Ableton? What what was your what was the reason you guys chose Ableton? Yeah, I mean, I think that was just because of Max for Live and just the ease of development there, and the fact that a bunch of these tools and Ambisonics libraries um, already existed uh, in Max. Uh, Max is obviously very popular in the academic setting and context, and that's where most of the, yeah, most of the Ambisonics. Um, well, a lot of it was happening in academia more than in sort of commercial uh, music industry. So I think kind of just grew out of that. Um, a, a lot of us um, on the team are into electronic music and already working in Ableton for that reason. Um, we would love to support um, other DAWs, um, but it's just uh, the, yeah, going and repackaging all this stuff up as VSTs is just kind of beyond the scope of... Um... And then honestly, mm. I kind of look at it and it's sort of, um, in that context, I do think, well, look like, Reaper does have native multi-channel support. You can use the IEM VSTs in there, and that's good software as well. So, um, mm. I do yeah, think so they're different. You know, I, I like the the UX of Envelop is a little bit different. I think with that kind of Ableton look and feel, and this real focus on simplicity. Um, yeah, well, you're, controls, but. you're adding you're adding something that you can do in a door that can't do it any other way, and so that. That slots field, whereas yeah, if you kind of repackaged it, maybe into a VST or even something like like Feeder Audio, doing where they're kind of grabbing the audio from the memory rather than through the door itself. Um, is you, yeah, are you are you creating something new, or are you just <laughs> kind of replicating what could be done just in another another format? So 
It's always tricky. I mean, but, the, the uh, one thing, the one thing that always brings me back to Ableton is is sort of the non-linear workflow that you have in Ableton. That I think uh, you know, kind of a couple of other DAWs have tried that, but I, I kind of I, I have not yet found anything that I find as appealing. I mean, it could be that I started out with Ableton. You know, kind of that that's always kind of your first DAW is always the one that you gravitate towards. But uh, I, I always felt that there's something. I'm, I'm honestly kind of uh, longing for a DAW that has the. Uh, the usability of Ableton in its non-linear workflow and at the same time, as you say, sort of a full multi-channel support. Um, uh, that's not really happening right now. Right? Yeah, I'd be curious if it's on Bitwig's radar at all. Um, I, no haven't heard, um, I haven't heard but, anything, yeah. but they, when you look at the, because they've got uh, their new format, which um, their uh, kind of uh, session format, project format, you can save to, I think it's called a door project or open door, I think it's called, which is an XML file basically. So you can actually get an idea of how the API is working in a way, looking at that. Because um, you can now transfer files to um, Studio One from Bitwig or from Studio One back to Bitwig. Well, obviously, Studio One is multi-channel. So that might might mean something changes there. But when you look at the XML, you can see that each track has a parameter of channel number. And obviously, it's all, mm -hmm. always set always set to two when it's coming from uh, from Bitwig. But that kind of made me think, oh, maybe it's, might just be that it's just they've got to, they've got to say how many channels there are, and there are there are only two channels. But it it might also mean that there's capacity for more. But who knows? Yeah, I kind um, of yeah. I I got I got very excited when when Pro Tools did the Pro Tools sketch because for for, for a second I thought, well, maybe that's it. But no, uh, Pro Tools sketch is a yeah, huge letdown. I, I think things probably probably can get. Quite complex, like in a multi-channel sense, um, with a non-linear door as well, because that you see some yeah, but, but, but even, even things like digital performer, for example, who is who is multi-channel and and had this kind of non-linear workflow added uh, in in I think it was was it the t version ten? I'm not yeah. quite sure. Um, it, it's also kind of a, an afterthought. It's it's kind of interesting that nobody kind of uh, moved into that. So so either kind of a door that yeah. that has a solid multi-channel. Uh, workflow needs to kind of add this non-linear editing capabilities yeah. or Ableton kind of needs to add multi-channel, but one of the two things I hope <laughs> will happen soon. There's a yep. cool use case um, with the non-linear mode, and, uh, which I actually haven't done a ton, but one of the cool things that it enables is you could put your panners in session mode in Ableton um, on a different track than your actual audio stems or devices. Um, and one thing you can do is create loops in the sort of session clips that have yeah. automation for different uh, motions and things. So you can imagine having your just sort of grid where you can trigger yeah. the way sounds are moving and loop that motion separately from choosing which oh. audio, you know, what drum loop yeah. is. So it creates a really, you can make these really cool yeah, matrix, yeah. matrices of possibilities. Well, that's, that's where doors like Bitwig and FL Studio and Ableton, there's the modulation capability is where it, they're not. A, they're not a door to just record you playing a piano in MIDI and then playing it back with yeah. some effects on it. That's not really how people use them. It's much more dynamic than that. Um, so yeah, that's yeah probably coming on to what we were talking about earlier is um, those that's, modulation that's... Mo modulation possibilities into multi-channel or immersive audio is pretty exciting. Yeah, could be. But but that's what what you said there is really interesting. I never thought about that that you could actually kind of utilize it that way. Um, you know, kind of there, there are so many. I, th I think there are so many possibilities out there that that people haven't really looked at yet. 
uh, especially also when it comes to envelope. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm see. I'm, I'm actually getting yeah, good yeah. at pronouncing that. <laughs> <laughs> so Excellent. kind of you, you, you guys were, were quiet for quite some time. Um, and uh, and then essentially you just released a new kind of update. So so what what's new in that update? Yeah, uh, a lot of that was probably because I had two kids in the past oh. four years. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> well, yeah. congratulations, right? Yes, thank you. Yeah. But it, it's not great for the software. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah, no, it just took ages. Um, but we find the the main thing was getting uh, Apple Silicon support finally. Um, most most of which was my fault. Some of that was waiting for the libraries that we depend upon um, to all update themselves. Um, since it's kind of an all or nothing thing, you need all your dependencies in. But um, so that was the big thing. Um, a few bug fixes and stuff. Um, we added some new decoders um, for some of the newer Dolby and Oro 3D layouts, um, and some better um, a little tool to have just meter visual metering on the decoder outputs. Um, a big one that people had been asking for, which um, yeah, we haven't talked about a ton, but is adding an aux uh, send and receive. Um, a lot of people have, uh, myself included, understandably wanted this to be ability to have sort of submixes or buses in the Ambisonics domain to share reverbs or to put a head tracker on a group of things or even just, um, well, gain staging is easy enough to do otherwise, but in any sort of processing. Um, so that's, um, yeah, that's a big one that we'll probably lean into a bit more, um, as well as one new, we added a sort of multi-panner device um, that I'd kind of realized that a common use case is people just have loads of stereo stems and they're just um, panning each of them. Um, and sometimes it is easier to just have this one multi-panner device on one track mm -hmm. where you send mm -hmm. uh, the outputs of, you know, six, eight channels or something all into that um, and then can spatialize them uh, as a group with relative offsets and things. Um, I find that works especially well for like percussion mixes where you got a load of drum sounds and you want to sort of place them, uh, spread them out, but then maybe twist them as a group or lift them up as a group, stuff like that. Um, so um, yeah, mostly sort of uh, util fairly utilitarian uh, up updates this time around, um, but with a, but a couple of those, yeah, unlock some some significant new possibilities. Yeah, kind of especially the, the, the routing was something that actually kind of, uh, I think I already used, I'm not quite sure if that video is already online. I did a number of videos for the winter break, uh, but that one is I think already online where I used that um, because it, as you say, kind of you can use that for all kinds of things. Um, and uh, and and it, 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 the, way I, the way I used it was for a bus, essentially a reverb bus, that, that's, what, that's what I used it for. And that was actually kind yeah, of that's, what, what, that's the huge yeah. use case that yeah I think so many people want that it's such a natural workflow, and and kind of I, th I think I also I also kind of pushed it a little bit to the limits because what I did is I routed out of a group um, so essentially I grouped a couple of, of devices and then routed out of a group into into that uh, that aux uh, received kind of device, and uh, and that that is a little you know kind of makes uh, tends to get confused if I, if I messed around uh, around too much. It with gets that. there is an issue with groups too. I will we'll have a new release coming out soon-ish, probably early in the new year with some bug fixes for yeah these and this is kind of why I say yeah the I don't even love the way I'm doing things as the developer <laughs> of the software because it ju it just gets really fiddly. Um, doing all this routing magic uh, when you've already got instrument racks and groups and uh, like the Ableton. I mean, the Ableton model for that is pretty clean with chains and everything, but it does get to be just a lot of internal bookkeeping. Um, 
yeah, yeah, yeah. But but you know, kind of it, it works. It works. It works well. And if you guys use that for live performances, it it has the stability obviously that it needs. Does does it happen once in a while that it breaks during a live performance? It's been a while since uh, I don't think we have most most of the stuff we're doing, especially the listening events and things, tend to be prepared sets. So we've it they're well tried and rehearsed b before the the time they get run there. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. Really? I think it's been I think it's been fine. Ten to any, I always found trying to do stuff live. You only really ran into trouble where your kind of your CPU was just hitting max too too frequently, or it's just or you something changed in between practicing and then trying to do it live. In that, I don't know, maybe you changed tweaked a parameter on a plugin, and that's all it took to tip it over the edge. If yeah, this is a few years ago where. CPU was more of an issue, but um, yeah, that tended to be the stability issue was just getting enough power rather than yeah, that's true. Rather yeah, than the process, totally. rather than the process itself. Um, uh, yeah, we had and, issues at one point. We tried to um, we tried to use AVB at some point to just uh, in a sort of live pop up event context, just to sim just to you know Ethernet cables only. And um, hmm. I remember that did not go great. It sort of mostly worked but would uh just get into sort of hiccuping at some point i would love to try yeah. that again now it's been quite a few it's this was probably mm, at least four years ago or something so i bet it's improved a lot since that would be a, i would love to it would be amazing yeah. if we got to a point where just an ethernet cable from a laptop in the middle of the room was all you needed uh and off for, the races for video as well yeah yeah that'd be pretty cool yeah there's there's been quite a lot of development on kind of sharing audio as musicians but not so much in terms of syncing all that live and to video as well that's all still a bit either very very expensive or very disjointed so yeah one um, uh, i should mention on that note actually one thing that um was added in this latest release there is um this protocol called uh, adm if you guys sort of audio data model Mm -hmm. um, and they have an OSC version of ADM OSC that's been um, adopted by quite a few people actually now for just for packaging metadata about the position oh, of okay. sound objects. So SPAT supports it, L Acoustics uh, support it with their ESA system. There's actually quite a long list. DNB, like I think a number of um, yeah, sort of smart amplifiers and things. So um, that's made me kind of optimistic. I was excited to see it. it doesn't do a ton. It's basically just a standardized OSC protocol for packaging the angles. Um, yeah. But I uh, was feeling excited just seeing, oh, a bunch of companies are deciding to share an OSC. It's just a good sign yeah. for more stability and interoperability probably coming down the pipe. Um, but that'd be it. That's not a lot. That'd be more of a playback kind of sense, would it? Or um, would it be used play, live? Yeah. Could it be used live? Or? In, um, well, with E4L, it's not really relevant because E4L is doing the encoding and decoding. It's sort of, uh, I think it was designed more for broadcast scenarios where yeah. audio is being sourced from one place and they want to specify the positional we'll metadata, see. but somebody somewhere else is doing the actual yeah, yeah. Uh, encoding or speaker management type of stuff. Um, right, yeah. Uh, but I think it could be... Um, another thing I'll just bring up and mention is, yeah, so I also work on um, LED um, software, a sort of 3D LED thing. And so I've started using that protocol for that where um, in our San Francisco venue for Envelope, for instance, we also have a load of LEDs in those columns. Um, so we send all that, we sort of relay all the sound object uh, metadata over to the lighting software as well, so it can know 
How many right. sound sources are where are they in the space? What are the what is give me a basic metering on them at the moment? That kind of thing. So, uh, um, yeah, that was that's something that I hope that um, yeah that like shared OSC protocol. You could imagine that showing up in a bunch more sort of VJ softwares or different things like that. Yeah, no, cool. Yeah, I have I I, I I've heard of it. I didn't really look into it or think of it in that sort of sense. So I thought I was just, I think in the back of my mind I was just thinking oh ADM like. BWS or whatever, it's kind of like the same thing, just with some OSC on it, but it sounds like a little bit more than that. So, yeah, no, cool. Brilliant. Yeah, the, uh, you always had kind of this this additional option of uh, controlling the lights, right? So this was always something that that was part of uh, of the initial kind of design of the system, I would think, right? Yeah, no, it is, and um, yeah, the only, the change there is really that it's just sort of gradually turning from a one off implementation to something that yes hopefully trending towards sort of standardized in some sense but hmm. cool uh, if if you if you kind of I, I'm, I'm curious what what are the things that you think uh, would would come next what are the things that you think that are missing in your system yeah um well a couple of th I think um it would I don't know that we'll actually do this I do think we're one of it's it's a we don't have lots of sort of advanced or experimental effects. That's one direction we could go doing more. We have a couple sort of things like the Boyd's um, based delay. Um, it would be great if we could just package up a load more convolutions for the reverb, um, just because, yeah, those aren't really easy to, you know, most people don't have loads of ambisonics convolutions sitting around. Um, but one that um, I'm excited about, just because I want to use it, is. Um, to make like a polyphonic engine mm. um for either samplers or voices synthesizers um because i have found that um yeah often you when working with this stuff you just end up taking loads of stereo content and up mixing it um and i've always wanted to do okay if i'm playing piano or big chords i would love for the voices to even sub yeah. subtly or extremely uh, move around independently. And you can kind of do that today, but it's just so tedious. You sort of, you know, break, have N instances of the same synth plugin and break them across different tracks and have all these extra panners. Um, so I might put some time into um, messing around with that. Um, I'm still mulling on. It, it would be amazing if there was some standard that emerged for that. I would love to see if within VST or something there emerged some kind of standard for plugins to um, have multi-channel output for independent voices mm -hmm. um, so that any polyphonic sampler or synth I'm using um, rather than down mixing to stereo at the VST level just uh, spits out a load of voices because um, I could see that being super fun um, to then spatialize that um, and yeah. get into more the subtle algorithmic panning rather than the whole one master LFO or manually draw my automation, just have sort of different um, uh, little ways that those voices move around. Yeah. And that ties back to, yeah, one that you mentioned, Roly. Um, I just got my hands on a, an Osmos, uh, which I'm really excited to dig into for this kind of reason where I'm like, oh, MPE seems really cool combined with spatial where you can imagine, okay, each note. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, and MP, can... I think it's a cool way to potentially control that without kind of what is it without having to do this mega tedious loads of automation editing, doing things voice by voice. Um, yeah, yeah, nice. Um, yeah, because you, you you can yeah as long as you can map each expression to 
what you want it to do in a spatial sense. Um, you you can ex you can expressly play the instrument into the space, which is how I see it. It's like ah, if I'm gonna slide my fingers up. Oh, I'm talking about a rolly keyboard now, but yeah, if I slide slide my fingers up the keys as I'm playing a chord. Um, that will lift up in the room and stuff like that. Or um, if I put a vibrato on it or something, it's going to shake it left and right a little bit or whatever. Um, so that's, yeah, that's definitely, definitely where things can go. And something that I wish, um, in, it's got quite a new feature in Bitwig called voice stacking, which is, um, you know, like unison on a, any synth with a unison is basically just two voices slightly pitched to give it, kind of that depth um voice stacking is just taking that to like 16 unisons basically um but then because of obviously the same as in um ableton you can modulate each of those voice stacks differently so each each oscillator essentially is expressed slightly differently i thought ah if you've got if you've got say eight slightly different voices from each other you spread those into different parts of the room you've kind of got one synth which is cohesive in terms of You'd recognise it as a, you know, a, you know, a synth pad or whatever, um, and it would sound like it in the room. But you'd have this kind of expressive control of where each stack goes. That would be so cool. But it's not possible to get. It all comes out just as stereo, so you can't get at each voice stack stuff like that. It's just same right. as same as you trying to bend um, Ableton into this multi-channel thing. It's the same sort of thing. You, you just can't get at the stuff to get it to where you want it to go. Sometimes. But that'd be yeah. That's kind of it's kind of happened with the sound particles synth, you know the three D um, skydust. What do they call it? Skydust. 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 Yeah, it's kind of that's going there. And because you can map the MPE to the parameters of the synth, you've got a little bit of that sort of control. So that's pretty cool. But yeah, so much more that could be done. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's still very. I think it's because everything's just such a stereo locked kind of workflow or it's coming from a stereo locked workflow it's kind of that's just just tagging on spatial as like, a bit like what um audio was, was saying it just because you've put a mono or stereo sound into a space doesn't make it immersive that only makes it spatial um whereas if you can express things all around you've from the instrument itself that's just yeah that's definitely the next the next level without having to go through all these workarounds yeah yeah sky sky, sky dust isn't sky, sky dust is an interesting one isn't it um it, it's just it, it, I, th I think kind of the, sometimes there's also a little bit of a disadvantage of being the first mover because uh, not a lot of people really knew how to kind of work that synth and uh Unfortunately, it's 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 not as straightforward, yeah. right? So, kind of for most people who are kind of in the stereo domain, they kind of looked at Skydust and didn't really know what to do with it. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and then essentially said, "Well, it's it 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 doesn't sound good." And the reason it doesn't sound good is because it takes a little bit of effort to actually kind of make things sound. <laughs> it's not like yeah. it's not like all these synths that have been around for quite some time where just kind of to use one finger and then kind of everything <laughs> plays automatically. Yeah, so you actually need to kind of put effort into it, right? Yeah, it's probably quite difficult to get. I mean, a lot of synths are just kind of like a couple of oscillators at heart. So it must be quite difficult to how do you get those just two sort of sound sources spread into a room without completely mangling it is yeah. quite... Because we're used to... The power of stereo is that it's this kind of artificial 
well for me i always think it it doesn't it's not really the real sound of anything you kind of it's an artificial kind of image and an artificial condensed power because it's all being compressed down into these two two speakers um, and that's quite difficult to to move outwards into multi-channel i always think it's kind of one of the i know you can emulate it with kind of multi-channel compression and stuff but yeah, that, that's that's an argument that I hear quite quite often these days. That that sort of the stereo kind of audio is actually the most unnatural way to listen to audio, right? Um, kind of. Well, it's an interesting yeah. argument. Uh, well, I think if you because when you if you think about what it, if all we were doing as engineers was recreating a production of music being played, all you would do is press record, write it, and publish it and then export it and somebody would hear it exactly as it was played. But all of that stereo processing is is synthesizing what was played naturally and getting it out, you know, a, a hopefully a better sounding way than what it was recorded. For a lot, I've got, I'm not talking about classical, that's a different kind of side. I'm talking purely electronic, electronic music. You're, you're, you're taking things out of reality, but because of, that tight control of only two channels, I think that is kind of its attraction as well, is that um Yeah, yeah. In in comparison to multi channel and spatial audio, that's its attraction, is that you've got this condensed power in one one place, whereas um it kind of it's difficult to do it in spatial audio. It's spatial audio is very good for like more ambient stuff or to recreate the sound of a room or something like that, but it's not so good at I guess what Mark's also getting at is getting this expression and this kind of unreality into into the room. That's what I'd as an electronic Thanks. music fan, that's how I I I'm excited about it rather than just the spatial sense anyway. One thing I found really counterintuitive uh artistically when working with spatial audio is that actually the number of you would think you've got this more space surely you're going to be able to cram more sounds in or have more things working together because um, you've got this huge space for it. But I actually find that often it's you really got to do less is more um, with spatial and that with stereo music, you often, you can make this crazy intricate detailed stuff. You know, I like, I'm thinking of like sort of Max Cooper type of stuff, loads of intricate micro yeah. details and it kind of works. Um, and I've often found that if you then go try to do that in, with spatial audio, it is just totally overwhelming because you're just so yeah in this yeah. real physical environment so, oh my god what's going on in here it's so uh it's crazy um and that often having fewer elements is what opens up this different kind of experience where you're happy yeah. you know, feel what's going on in the space so it's um yeah it's really interesting i think what you're saying is just yeah the the translation from stereo workflow often seems sort of like technically clear but in terms of what makes sense content wise or artistically sometimes it's just like oh this is a left turn actually you just got to go do something different that's but that, relating to the tools it's interesting though because that's the other the other place i'm optimistic about ambisonics and stuff is is listening on headphones in the sort of vr and video game context where it has or the 3d video platforms that have mostly um settled upon ambisonics so it's a really interesting i think there's kind of two things going on at once there that are related technologically because these I, I'm excited about that because it means the tool chains for ambisonics will have reason to be invested in and reason to be worked on um, but it still does feel like there's a weird chicken and egg left where sort of okay but mm. the headset 
experience is fundamentally still a headphone experience. What's yeah. going to be the best there may or may not be actually really cool in real world uh, immersive systems. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But well, it's kind of for it's the best we've got. That I mean, it's it's definitely what's pushing stuff forward, probably more than anything else at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was what um, Audio Brewer's uh, phaser. That I know it's a traditional type of effect, but the way he was describing it, that it was only possible to uh, to get that phaser into a, uh, a spatial sense was um, through use of ambisonic. So that was, I think that that's kind of a, a kind of a, a area that's going to get explored more is actually using the um, like the ambisonics kind of mathematics itself more as a way to um, generate the different sound as well. So that could be quite quite interesting. I don't really understand how he did it but it's it's a pretty cool uh phaser considering it is only a phaser which is as i as old as you know music itself almost so um yeah yeah no, that's a cool. that's a that's a cool one um kind of there, there were two things that kind of uh that, that connected with me the first one that you said mark the first that you said that sometimes less is more uh and and that was also something that I noticed. Uh, I, I was teaching an ambisonics actually a couple of years ago. I was teaching a class about ambisonics, and it was kind of one of those special topics classes. I had a couple of students in there, and we had like a makeshift uh, ambisonics uh, system set up. And uh, the, the, the kind of the what the students produced was significantly better if they kind of just had a couple of components that they would kind of move around. It was a lot more impressive and a lot more immersive. And normally you would think kind of if you have all things around you. Then, uh, then kind of you're more immersed, but that was not the case essentially. If you had a couple of components that you strategically kind of position, um, it's a, it's a lot more immersive. And that 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 was that was very interesting to me. That's actually mm. that's actually happening. Um, so so kind of, sorry. yeah, sorry, yeah, no, just because I think it's probably coming back to the you know nature and you would only hear thing from one direction. So the less you've got coming from different directions is. Uh, going to feel more or your brain is going to be more aware to that once it's everything around you is it really much different from just putting it all into yeah. stereo kind of thing so um i don't know it's yeah it's a balancing act definitely yeah so so having having sort of a, a synth engine in in envelope uh would would actually i think i think and and to be perfectly honest one of one of the things that also is uh beneficial for you guys is the fact that uh, because of the technology you're somewhat limited in what you can do right i mean there there's there's a, there's a limited com number of components that you have and sometimes if you are really limited in the cup devices that you have that really being being in a design college, this is a trick that we sometimes use. That you restrict essentially the number of tools that you have in order to increase the level of uh, creativity. And I, th I think kind of having a tool like that in the envelope might actually be um, more successful than uh, sound particles ended up being with their synths because you're just kind of really restricted and limited to the things that that are there, and then you can really kind of explore how to use that in the best possible way. So that that would be really cool. Yeah, I, I hugely agree with that as an artist. Just then I talk with that about that with artist friends all the time that just constraints are so crucial to get to do it. You gotta just define the box and then go figure yeah. out everything to be done with that box. But when there's no box, it is uh yeah, <laughs> happiness it, it, does not ensue. It's you, get, you get lost in this Where things. am I? What am I doing? <laughs> um but I would love to throw the question just back to the two of you in terms of what's next. Um having, you know, spent time with Envelop and and using these different ways, are there any 
obvious holes that you see or something on your wish list or a direction that seems clearly valuable? Well, the, the 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 one thing the one thing that I always wondered, and uh, you know, kind of this is actually kind of where we uh, would be break that we would actually break that box. Um, <laughs> uh, one thing that I always wondered is that uh, if 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 I'm doing something with envelope, then uh, the, the limitations are kind of there are limitations, then they sometimes are a little bit severe, right? So kind of there are certain things that you would like to do. You would like to have a phase, or you would like to have these types of things, and you you can't really uh, even the reverb, right? So you're limited it to the convolution reverb which is a first order convolution reverb so so my 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 thing and i'm honestly not even sure if that's even possible sort of a way to bring external plugins into the into the system and and kind of my original understanding was that that's not possible because max for life i think has that this restriction but then i'm and that that's sort of what brings me back to the valhalla kind of thing that we started at the beginning then I see these uh, these Max for Life devices that are essentially wrappers for for plugins. So sometimes, it, somehow, this seems to be possible. So is is this something that 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 you guys are thinking of? Is the, is there some possibility that that will ever happen? Is this even technically possible? I don't know. It's definitely technically possible. You can uh, within Max there. It is very easy actually to just embed a VST plugin. Um, it's it's hard to distribute because you can't sort of, uh, you know, unless you have the rights to that plugin. So like, it's a, it's not great from uh, presenting it as a product to end users, uh, but it's very easy technically to do. Um, it, the easiest way is that way. And it's literally within Max, it's just like VST and then the name of the plugin and it'll expose the inputs and outputs of that plugin. Um, so if it is a plugin that um, works in the Ambisonics domain, um, that's not too bad. Um, there's another, but it, but that would be sort of yeah one off on a plugin by plugin basis, um, but very doable. Um, possibly could be done more generically over time. The other very clunky way, um, and there's some other tools that have, have done this, is you can set up loads of dummy tracks in Ableton that you just sort of use as little routers where you know you can do that audio from, and then you can pick some other plugin and say I want output seven and eight of this thing. So you can you can horribly tediously. <laughs> go and set up a lot of these dummy tracks and grab stuff and get it to go where you want it to go. Um, but it is it is not reasonable from a workflow perspective. Um, but yeah, that that is where yeah, I mean, short of Ableton, because that's what's nice in Reaper. Actual multi-channel dot is you yeah, you can just have a chain of Ambisonics domain plugins and it all goes straight through and it just looks normal. Um, we're always keeping yeah. an eye on, yeah, I mean, as new major versions come out, I always sort of check, like, ooh, is there, is there some new, are there any Feature. plumbing changes here yeah. that make something, but, but there's usually not. Um, but yeah. yeah, that would be, I mean, that was kind of, that's part of the hope with open source, but realistically, you know, we don't, I don't expect people to come along and invest loads of time in developing professional grade envelope plugins because it's such a, it's sort of such a boutique specialist, but it's Ableton only, and it's you got to build it in Max. So it's kind of uh, it's a bit particular. Um, so yeah, as you say, that's kind of its blessing and its curse. Um, mm. But it is a good idea. Yeah, I should I should look at um, um, like we did embed um, the IEM binaural decoder because mm -hmm. we we prefer mm -hmm. that to the binaural decoders that we had had. Um, I just, it does, it, it's, yeah, it depends upon the user having independently installed it. So it's not great for new users because they just get a red error box saying you haven't installed this other thing. Oh, it, I um, didn't know that. 
Yeah, so, it's just, there's. I mean, we. I could talk to them about if they were okay with us, like repackaging and redistribute. But then you get into this. You know, these are this is a whole separate domain of logistical problem. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, that is something I have been interested in over time. That as like you, I kind of expect that the scope of how many ambisonics domain VST plugins are out there in the world will just kind of keep creeping over time. Um, and as that happens, yeah, building the plumbing to make it easier to hook them all up. Yeah, especially th things like mm. like like the audio brewer stuff and kind of we keep coming back to that because that I think is really was a major thing. Uh, the phaser that that sort of is so creative and can, you can do so much things with it. Having that in the envelope system would be would be a, a really cool thing. Yeah. Yeah, I'll go. I I'm gonna go look at that after this too, and then uh, and then I'm reminded. You guys were talking about Valhalla earlier. I think if I'm not if I don't have this mixed up, I think the guy who writes the Valhalla plugins has actually published some ambisonic papers or has yeah. done a. I think he's done either some research or a similar thing where he sort of used it as an intermediary step within within producing stereo output, but using it in a like processing chain to sort yeah. of simulate around. I'm sure, sure audio brewers weren't the first to be using ambisonics even to create um, uh, stereo, you know, effects. So yeah. kind of yeah. that whole mathematical side of it. Yeah, of it's makes, exactly that, kind of makes as you sense. said. Yeah, right, yeah. it just, it just, it, it is a natural, uh, whether you're doing spatial or not, it's just a natural signal yeah. processing trick, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now, kind of, kind of coming, coming to, uh, and, and, and essentially the, the being open source um, allows other people, right, to contribute. And there, there are a couple of people who really are passionate about it. So, so I kind of, you know, that I like to use a lot kind of the modified master bus device that has the internal head tracking. Uh, and I think you have talked to Noah on our Discord server. Is this something yeah, that, you, that no, you and like? And honestly, do? we should just, we should integrate that into uh we should probably just integrate that into the main one because that is a very common use case. a lot of people want that um, we should probably just do it yeah yeah no i mean I'm, I'm kind of curious if somebody develops a, a kind of a custom device how, how do you like people to approach that do you want them to kind of just do that or is this something where they should reach out to you uh, kind of how, how is the preferred process I mean, we're happy. We're totally happy for them to just go do it, um, and then yeah, let us know about it too. Um, we have um, right now. We're mostly on a Facebook group. There's a yeah, an developer for live user. I forget the full name. Users and developers group. Um, so, which is sort of a, it has a little bit. Of, people do post stuff in there from time to time. But yeah, we're we're very happy for people to just go mess around with stuff um, and then send it to us. Uh, I will say the software engineering, this is another place where using Max is a bit frustrating because it is a really bad um, programming language for like collaboration or being mm. able to comprehend other people's work. <laughs> um, you know, with, with text-based programming languages, you have these diffs and you can see exactly what was changed and which lines were, were touched and what's going on here. One of the challenges working with people in Max is just like, oh, jumble of spaghetti turned into different <laughs> jumble of spaghetti. Like, what did you touch in here? And it's like, I'm not even sure what I touched. I know I touched some stuff around this bit, but short of like looking at two screenshots side by side, it's all yeah. it is. So it, uh, I think that is in, in practice, it becomes a sort of unfortunate obstacle to um kind of uh, just keeping track of like, okay, is this thing like super stable or is there a lot of crazy changes in this or what's going on? So it, it makes it tough in practice. Um, 
to have a lot of people touching the same stuff at once. But um, but no, in principle, um, yeah, the stuff's open source for a reason. We totally want, I mean, stuff like what Noah did is great because uh, we're super happy about that. Just awesome. He's gone and done it and he's posted it and people who wanted that can just mm. go grab it and it works. Um, it's definitely it's definitely great when that happens. So yeah. we're all for it. Uh, I'm uh, one thing that I'm also curious, and and we, uh, Sam and I had this discussion kind of earlier today because Sam didn't know that that Envelope uh, actually kind of worked for Windows, and and Sam is a Windows user. I'm more of a kind of sorry whatever 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 <laughs> is kind of working for me, so I'm using both. Uh, it it I always found it works actually quite well for Windows, but but on your site you kind of say it is only Mac supported. Is yeah, this because we... you, you, yeah. There were just, uh, we could never figure it out. There were, it was some people just would get these random crashes. It didn't seem to be on all Windows systems. We sent crash reports and things to Ableton. Um, and we kind of just like threw our hands up at some point and just said we should just put a warning and tell like, you know, we don't want people losing work and, you know, putting hours in and stuff just breaks up. Yeah. So, but it does, yeah, as you said, it mostly and usually does just work fine. Um, and in theory, it should just work fine because it is Max for Live and Max um, is cross-platform in that sense. But of course, uh, we all know yeah, things being cross-platform uh, doesn't, <laughs> doesn't mean they don't just crash sometimes somewhere. Um, but yeah, I, at this point, I would say I think it does mostly work and should generally be pretty stable and totally fine on Windows. Um, but yeah, we just like, there was enough random stuff that we never were able to get or we just could never really figure out what was mm. where, even like what subcomponent it was really coming from. So it was sort of a goose chase that we gave up on at some point, unfortunately. But it's it's sort of uh, my, my my experience with Ableton and Windows is that the Max implementation is not as stable as as you see as the as the uh, the, the implementation on a on a Mac operating system. It also, quite frankly, takes a lot of time to boot up uh, and, yeah. and kind of to get started. Um, so yeah, that that's probably it. so. So if anybody out there kind of wants to use this software on on Windows, they can. Right? It, it, yeah, it, I always tell people like go for it and just just hit save all the time and do save as backups uh, of your. These are good. This is good advice for advice. Uh, all the time. <laughs> yeah, those are just great habits uh, as a human in the world in this point. So. <laughs> So we we are we are starting to come close to the uh, to our allocated time. There, there are essentially kind of two things I wanted to touch uh, towards the end. And the first thing is if somebody and to some extent we already talked about that. But if somebody wants to contribute, uh, is the best way to reach out to you? Uh, kind of how to how to how yeah. Do the Facebook group or uh, info is on the website um, envelop.us. Um, Loads of info there. Um, I will. I will pitch right now. We are in our winter fundraiser uh, at the moment. We have a membership program and take donations as a nonprofit, um, all tax deductible for people in the U.S. Um, so, envelop.us slash memberships um, has info on that. Um, people in the Bay Area, there's uh, perks related to that for coming to to real events, but otherwise also sort of access to streaming stuff. Um, but yeah, envelop.us is a place to go. Um, everything is on there email addresses to send things in, whether it's content or asking about events. Um, we do um, also some like private and custom events and vary if people are interested in that, bringing in their own material or just hosting a, a social event. So there's lots of uh, lots of avenues. And there's also kind of, you already mentioned that, uh, that was actually the one thing that I, I thought kind of I, I mentioned towards the end is your, your membership program. So you, you can actually, 
you out there, you can become a member of the Envelope uh, group. Um, so how, what's, what, are, what are the perks if somebody becomes a member? Yeah, uh, if you're Loki, there's, um, you get some tickets to come to local events. Um, we've also been rolling out um, some, during the pandemic, we've a whole separate thing, built a, a web-based streaming uh, a platform called Envelope Stream that ships Ambisonics uh, into a browser um, where it can be decoded. Uh, either sent out speakers if you have a multi-channel setup um, or speakers. So we're rolling out more uh, features related to that. So membership will also include access to a bunch of um, streaming events and online um, Envelope Stream stuff. Um, and then also it's just, you know, it's helping support the nonprofit. We are, um, yeah, a small organization um, with a relatively small number of events and revenue. So uh, a huge part of it is just, yeah, supporting what we do. So can so I- So is that to the, to the yeah. Sennheiser soundbar, did you say? Um, so no, so that, it could, well, it could go to anything. Yeah, oh, it okay. comes into the browser. It sends 16 third order Ambisonic 16 channels into the browser. Um, and then through um, sort of Chrome or whatever, if you have a, a HDMI soundbar or something yeah, like that, it can shake to it that. to the, right, sorry. Okay. Yeah. Or yep. it will just do a local headphone binaural decode. Um, yep. If you just if you just plugged in on headphones, just plugged um, in, yeah. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. I, I didn't hear. I thought I heard the word Sennheiser. I didn't know if it was a <laughs> yeah. Only no, a Sennheiser not, yeah. Thing. It should it should work with any like standard yep. HDMI uh, compatible um, oh. bar, but right. Yeah. Thank you. And uh, the membership, I think, is is currently one hundred and twenty bucks per year. And yeah, uh, one hundred twenty uh, per year. Yeah, and you can you can get all you can get all the information by going to the website. I think it's a worthwhile cause. If you're interested in spatial audio, then definitely that's something that you should consider. Now, kind of uh, at the very end, is there anything that you wanted to talk about that you didn't touch? I don't think so. Yeah, this was pretty great. Um, yeah, my my adjacent pitch is that I will be finally getting a commercial release at the door next year of my LED software, um, which will be called Chromatic. Nice. Um, that also is spatial aware. A big part of that is yeah, features to interoperate with uh with spatial audio platforms to do sort of volumetric renderings of that. So um, and and uh, that 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 sort of is also uh, how how are people going to learn about that? Is this also something that they can learn on the envelope? Uh, envelope. Uh, sorry. Uh, uh, we will update. Yeah, it is on my to do list to get envelope uh, ported over to the new version of all that software. So yeah, at some point that will be uh, more info about that will be available there. Um, and uh, yeah, the website doesn't quite exist. It's uh, chromatic.co. Chromatic.co. Okay. Chromatic with a K at the end. This is, I should think of, this shows how much I've thought about the uh, marketing and uh, communicability of this. Uh, yeah. C H R O M A T I K. Okay. So there's C H at the beginning and the K in the end. Okay. There yeah. you go. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's uh, mildly German or Austrian uh, feeling. With it's, 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 it's sort of, it starts, out, it starts out English and ends up German. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> cool. Um, Sam, any any final uh, famous last words? No. Oh, um, we well, obviously, have a great Christmas because I guess this is the last one before New Year. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah in terms yeah. of the podcast, uh, one the only yeah the only thing, uh, the only thing I've well, uh, it's kind of my New Year's wish is that I think at some point we're going to get some kind of way to model the room that you're in uh um kind of binaurally but with the actual room uh coming back to gpu sonnet kind of processing ah, of yeah, audio yeah, with yeah, that yeah. with that kind of number of cores 
I think is going to make that possible. So that's my my yeah my New Year's hope is um, something like that. So uh, that's, that's, that's that's where I will leave it. Yeah, that's an interesting <laughs> one. That's an interesting one. So you rather than using an algorithm based kind of binauralizing, you will kind of almost model the room in a more of a physical sense um, to create that or possibly even where the speakers are in your room. But like the um, like the Smythe Realizer is a kind of exactly. on that. that, that, that was it's, the... it's not a GPU set thing, but it's that concept of you match the environment that you're listening in to what comes into your headphones because it's that visual relationship is the key to yeah. on all yeah. being yeah. Belie- believable. So that's my hope. Anyway, that, I don't know why I said that, but I thought I'd squeeze it in. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a, that's a good one. Uh, kind of, Mark, any wishes for 2024 since we're already kind of at that stage? No, yeah, just looking forward to more time to work on all this stuff, honestly. <laughs> um, and yeah, finally, I would just say it's been so nice to, to finally be in touch because, yeah, we've been sort of vaguely aware of, uh, well, we're not aware for a while at all of your videos then became aware of them and for some reason neither of us reached out but i just yeah huge huge appreciation for all the all the time and support you've put into the project so it's yeah it's great to actually connect and chat about it yeah that was that was that was that was great thank you thanks very much kind of i i had a lot of fun today and i and i hope uh, you guys out there also kind of had a lot of fun and uh with that i think uh, everything that has that that were that was supposed to be said has been said uh you know kind of happy holidays and a kind of very nice uh start in the year 2024 and the special audio monthly podcast is see you again is going to see you again in the second half of january 2024 see you everybody happy holidays <laughs>